I want to read from Matthew chapter 13 and the parable of the net, verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. And when it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace in that place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your love for us in Christ and for your promised presence where two or three gather in his name. There you are in the midst. And so we pray this evening that you would teach us, that you would feed us by your word and spirit and strengthen us by your grace, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. A few years ago, a seminary professor, uh, president, asked me, when you were in campus ministry, what are a couple of things you would want your graduates to leave with? And I immediately said, the gospel and ecclesiology. Now, what's ecclesiology? That's just a fancy word for the church. It comes from the Greek word ekklesia. We are the called out ones by God, called out of the world, be a people of his own. And you might wonder why the gospel and ecclesiology. Of course I wanted the students and the graduates to leave with the gospel, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But why this necessity of the church, of ecclesiology? Well, think about it for a moment. What do you long for in school, and what do you long for after you graduate? other than Clemson football. You long for a sense of community, of belonging, a place to gather where you can share life together. But, but can I be honest? I can find community at the coffee shop. I can find community at the gym. I can find community with the guys that I play golf with on Tuesday and Friday. A lot of them are Clemson grads. We've got 24 guys that uh, come, show up at the Walker course the first tee times every Tuesday, Friday. I can find community from these things, and so can you. But we cannot find community on the deepest, most profound level in those places than we can find in the church. Think about the word community, common unity or communion, common union. The most profound common unity and common union we have is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus didn't say, I have come to build community. He said, I've come to build my church. And so let me encourage you, especially graduates, when you go, and many of our graduates used to say, I want to graduate and go to Charleston. I want to graduate and go to Charlotte. I want to graduate and go to Greenville. It's really a cool place. I want to graduate and I don't want to go to Columbia. But um, they would say, I want to find community. And that's true. But I would say, let's tweak it because I think it's Jesus' tweet. I want to find church in which I can find community on the deepest, most profound level, the way Jesus himself has intended that to take place. And so as we think about that, I want you to think about your, your parents wanted community. And they used to sit back in the 90s. Some of you have heard the tragic death of Matthew Perry. Matthew Perry played in a 10-year sitcom, Friends. 
And the theme song for Friends was, I will be there for you. Or take it back to your grandparents' era to the sitcom Cheers. The setting where Cheers was a bar in Boston, and afterward people would get together and just share life stories. And the theme song for Cheers and the reruns that you may or may not have seen is sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name, and they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see our troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. That's community, but what we want to find is tweak that a bit, and it's church. Why do I say that? As we come to this parable of the kingdom, of the parable and the nets, here's a spoiler alert. The net in this parable is the church. It's the visible church. And I want us to see three things about the visible church tonight. And the first is that the visible church, that is what you see on Sunday mornings, is like a fishing net filled with all kinds of catch. The passage says they're good fish and they're bad fish. What does that mean? Well, the net's been cast broadly, and when you cast the net broadly, what do you run the risk of? Catching all kinds of stuff. Edible fish, unedible fish. You might catch trash from the the bottom of the, the river or the lake or the ocean. You can catch all kinds of things in it. And that's the visible church. What's Jesus' point? In the visible church, there will be those who are legit and those who are not. In the visible church, there will be those who are sincere and those who are hypocrites. And we often face this in evangelism, don't we? You talk to a friend about the church and they say, I'm not interested in the church because the church is filled with a bunch of hypocrites. Well, Jesus addressed that. My response to that is, that's nothing new. Jesus spoke about it in this parable. He called it out. And he, he, he did not cover it up. He called Christians, in fact, to actually repent of sin and place their faith and trust in him. There's always been the presence of hypocrites within the church. We're even going to sing uh, at the end the song, The Church is One Foundation. Doesn't that sound great? The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. But what do we know about the visible church? It's filled with problem because it's filled with people like us. And there will be some who are legit and some who are not. There will be some who are genuine believers and some who are not. So listen to the words we'll sing in a few minutes. Speaking of the church, the visible church, though with a scornful wonder men see her sore oppressed by schisms rent asunder, by heresies distressed. Yet saints, their watcher, keeping their cries, go up, how long? And soon the night of weeping shall be the morn of song. The next verse speaks of the presence of false sons in her pale. It acknowledges that what you see on a Sunday morning, those who are members of a visible church, a local church, may all not be legit. Some have come just because they want community, but they do not yet know Christ. And so part of the cry is, how long? When will it be that the, the church is, is pure? When will it be that the church is filled with only those who truly have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ? When will it be that the church is rid of all hypocrisy? Well, the parable actually answers that as well. It reminds us that in the visible church, there will be those who are not legit, but it also reminds us, secondly, that Jesus will do something about it. That the visible church is like a fishing net and that will be sorted out by Jesus at judgment. 
Look at verse 48 again. When it was full, that is the net, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into the containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. Jesus taught that there would be a separation. There would be a sorting one day at final judgment. And those in the visible church, there'll be some who will become known as sheep, and some will be goats. Some will be good fish, and some will be bad fish. Now, in this life, the church is called to a sorting of sorts. How does the visible church do that? Well, one is through membership. Hopefully, if you're in a good Bible-believing church, in order to join that, there were questions you had to ask, like, how did you come to faith in Jesus Christ? Years ago, just a little side note, I was having an interview right after I graduated from Clemson with a pastor in a church in Atlanta, Georgia. There were 1,500 members. He was looking at me, maybe coming on staff, and he said, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. And I thought, testimony, right? And so I told him a little bit how I'd come to faith in Christ, and at the end of it, I'd read about these guys. I'd never met one. He said this, David, I don't need Jesus. He's only my example. And uh, it took me about three seconds to leave that interview. But one of the things churches do is, faithful churches, is they'll say, are you trusting in Christ? Is there a credible profession of faith? Another way churches are called to sort a little bit is through church discipline. Jesus is very clear in Matthew chapter 18 that if somebody is living in unrepentant, habitual sin, have no desire to change, and they're even confronted by the church and they say no thanks, then those people are to be treated as unbelievers. They are to be ex-community, ex-communion, ex-communicated. And so the church is supposed to do that, but we still miss it. Why? Because it's possible for an unbeliever to learn the lingo. It's possible for an unbeliever to play the part. It's possible for an unbeliever to commit to community and yet not truly know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. It's possible to be religious, but not regenerate, not born again by the Spirit of God. And so look what happens on the day of judgment to the hypocrite, to the false professors. They will be sorted out. Look at verse 49 and 50 again. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace in the place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This may be one of the most sobering statements of Jesus in all of Scripture. It's hard to read it without tears in our eyes. This is the reality of our friends who reject Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said, that they'll be thrown out into the fires of hell where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, there have been many who've tried to downplay that gospel warning and pretend as if there's no hell whatsoever. They try to soften the blow in a lot of ways. They deny that there is a, a real heaven, that there's a real hell especially. And, but yet, when we do that, when we try to soften the gospel warning, do you realize what we're actually doing? We're not only going against Jesus' clear teaching in Scripture of what happens to those who remain in their sin and thumb their nose at God, we're actually committing one of the most unloving, uncaring acts on the face of this universe. 
by saying to our non-Christian friends, peace, peace, when there is no peace. We must be real with sin because if there is no real sin, there is no real punishment of sin, then there's no need for the Savior. There's no need for God to pour out His wrath on His one and only Son on the cross. There is no need for the cross if there is no consequences of our sin, if there is no hell. Stephen Speaks, who was the second campus minister at Clemson University, uh, I was here for 13 years. Stephen followed for 17 years. Uh, Reed was here for about six. I told Daniel, who's coming later, that uh, you got a long haul. People don't like to leave Clemson. But Stephen Speaks used to say that if God uh, wasn't pouring out his wrath on his son, if there's no need for the cross, why didn't he just send flowers? Why didn't he just send a Hallmark card? If it's just a sentimental show that God so loved the world that he, he gave his one and only son, if it's just a matter of sentiment and not the satisfaction of divine justice for my sin on the cross, then why not a Hallmark card? But God didn't send flowers, and he didn't send a Hallmark card. What did he do? He sent his one and only son, who on the cross cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what was the answer? At that moment in history, Jesus was having the wrath of the Father poured out upon him. He was experiencing the judgment of God so that if you are in Jesus Christ, you will never have to face that kind of judgment. That's the joy of the cross, that Christ has taken my guilt upon himself and all who place their faith and trust in him, and justice has been satisfied. I don't know if you still sing it. There's a great song we used to sing, and there's a line in it that justice smiles and asks no more. If you are in Christ, if you're trusting Christ alone for your salvation, then you can say justice smiles and asks no more why because when jesus said on the cross it is finished friends it was finished but what will happen with those who reject him because sin is an affront to a holy god because sin is an infinite rebellion against an infinite being it deserves god's wrath and displeasure and eternal punishment and jesus himself said one day there will be a separation. One day, those who are not trusting in Christ, they'll be cast into eternal punishment. I, I hope, my, my tombstone one day, I'm a lot closer to it than y'all. I thought 40 years, I'm old. I would love the epitaph on my tombstone to simply read a line from a hymn that says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I hope you can say that tonight and know that because of Christ, the judgment of God will not fall upon you, but it will upon those who do not know the Savior. So where are you tonight? Are you an RUF? You check out FCA. Is it FCA still like that on Thursday nights, like a million people? You know? um, are you in a church simply for community? Or do you understand your desperate need for Christ and you've run to him, and you've clung to him by faith alone for the forgiveness of your sins and the promise of everlasting life. I don't know where you all are, but I pray, I trust that that's your heart's desire, that if you have not embraced Jesus by faith, that you would even this evening 
come to faith and know the Savior of sinners and the friend of sinners. Well, what does the parable tell us? It tells us that there are going to be phonies in the church. One day Jesus is going to separate the bad fish from the good, the sheep from the goats, the the sincere from the hypocrites. But the third thing I want us to see is that those in the visible church, it's like a fishing net whose members are called to be fishers of men. If Jesus has forgiven us and cleansed us, one of the calls in discipleship, in fact, early on, as he had a group of fishermen around him, rough guys, he looked, RUF guys, he, he looked around and, and he said, come follow me and I will what? Make you fishers of men. Think about this mentality of the net being the church in the kingdom of God, gathering people. And so evangelism, missions, you sharing the gospel, speaking often and well of Jesus is part of that casting the net and seeing God at work, bringing people into saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember when uh, I would think about fishing, oftentimes we think of the rod and reel. And I remember when I was a little kid, probably first or second grade, the, the, the rod fishing rave of my elementary school was the Zebco 202. Now, now to put this in perspective, the Zebco 202 was kind of like a Christmas Stories Red Rider BB gun. I mean, this is every boy. By the way, I ended up having both of them. I got the Zebco 2 and the Red Rider BB gun. What more could a kid want? But when Jesus is talking about fishing, he's not talking about solo casting of a rod. He's talking about a net. And that net requires many hands to throw it out. And it requires many hands to pull it back in. And that is often a better picture of evangelism than just me out there kind of with my solo, my, my solo Zebco 202. It's a community effort. It is a church effort of bringing people to saving knowledge of Christ. There's this sense of evangelism being a community uh, effort. Let me give you an example. Years ago, my younger brother and his wife uh, loved to foster care. They got a call from DSS. There's a high school student who's um, going through just very difficult times. And so they take him in, uh, they care for him, they love him well, and they told him, now, we want you to go to church with us because that's what we do as a family, and we want you to be a part of our family. But there was a hitch. He was Muslim. And so he, he came into the home, and they loved him well, they cared for him well, and so he would do two things. He would go to mosque and to church. He would do both for a while, but then in the home, And at church, he began to hear the gospel of grace. That salvation wasn't by working your fingers to the bones, but by faith in one who worked for us, the Lord Jesus Christ. It was by grace. And then he began to meet some Christian friends in high school. And then he was accepted to um, Clemson as a a freshman. And so he said, hey, hey, Uncle David, I'm going to try to check out that group that you were involved with, that RUF, when I get there. Well, I get a call like the next day, first after his first day at Clemson, first day on campus, he goes to play volleyball at Bowman Field. And afterwards, two RUF guys came up to him and started talking. That night, he calls me, he's like, or the next day, he's like, Uncle David, you won't believe it. And all of the campus, there are two guys from that group you told me about that came up and, and, and started talking to me. That's just crazy, isn't it? And I'm thinking, God is at work. 
He really is. And through that, through the friendship of some students in RUF, and then he got to know some FCA students, and then he got to know some Young Life students, he began to hear the gospel. And then he had these questions about Christianity and Islam, and so we started talking some. Somebody, I'd read the book by Nabil Qureshi, Seeking Allah and Finding Jesus, but somebody gave me a, a, a digital copy of it, and I sent that to him. And he devoured it. He listened to it like five times. And I remember three years ago, in about two weeks, Thanksgiving week, he's sitting in my study, and I could see the ice beginning to melt. I could tell Jesus was doing a great work in his heart, and that night he fell on his face, and he trusted Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, and his Savior. Some of you might know him, because he knows like half the campus. His name's uh, Mej Abdullah. I don't know how many of you know Mej. Uh, He knows like a thousand students that are his best friends. Um, But wonderful uh, testimony. How did he come to faith in Christ? Did you hear the net of, of a home? Open home, open heart of a, a young family taking him in. Friends in high school introducing and pointing to Jesus. Coming to Clemson, a couple of RUF students on Bowman Field. Some FCA students, some, some Young Life students began attending a church. He heard the gospel back at Brushy Creek Baptist at home in Greenville. God used all of these things, and even the testimony of a former Muslim, Nabil Qureshi, to bring him to faith in Christ. You know what that means? It means that there's a place for you to place your hands on the net. Some of you will be great at articulating the gospel. Others of you will be shy and afraid to make a peep, but you can pray for the lost. Some of you will be great off the charts in inviting people to stuff. I I saw this, and I'm ready to sign up for like a service project, you know. Um, Some of you will be better at just serving, just setting up the chairs or the book table. There's a place for every single hand, and God uses all of these things. Even the person that sent me the digital copy of Nabil's book was used by God in bringing Mesh to faith in Christ. Let me encourage you, as you're part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, to also see you have the privilege to place your hand somewhere on the net to help cast it out and to bring it in. And because God is at work, you will see some of your friends over your time here at Clemson come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Fast forward down the road, you will look back and you'll see people you thought would never come to Christ. They'll come walking in your church one day. Why? God is at work. Let me end with just one other story about the importance of casting and broadcasting this net as far as it will go and you having the privilege to take a part of it. Uh, Some of you might know Matt Chandler. Matt talks about the time when he was a freshman. And it's just an example in many respects of um, the net being broadcast and several friends involved in it. But he's a freshman and he finds himself in a class sitting next to an unwed mother. And over the course of time, they strike up a conversation. They begin to talk about spiritual things, and she has some interest. And he's thinking, well, she's an unwed mother. She probably needs help. And so Matt and some of his friends, uh, uh, young men and young women, began to come alongside her and help her. They, they provided babysitting so she could go out to, and study at times. And they invited her to church. And there was a concert one night. One of Matt's friends was playing in, and he decided he and their friends invited her to come to the concert. Now... It was a Christian concert, so it was sort of like, we want to hear the gospel again. And he said after his friend played, the pastor came out, and uh, he, he had a rose in his hand, 
and he said, uh, you see this rose? And he began to smell it, and he felt it, and uh, held it, and talked about how beautiful it was, and he tossed it out into the crowd and said, I want you to feel its texture. I want you to smell it. I, I want you to just look at it and pass it around. And as it's being passed around, Matt said, the, the man began to launch into the worst, most fear-mongering talk he had ever heard. He came out and he said, tonight my subject is going to be sex. And Matt's sitting there thinking, oh, great. This is his subject of choice, and we brought this unwed mother here. And he went on, and he ranted, and he raved, and when he finished, for his great conclusion and crescendo, he said, where's my rose? Where, where is, pass it on up. And finally some kid brought it up to him, and he looks at it, and it's, it's torn apart, the, the stem is broken, it looks pitiful, it's wilted. And in order to show his disgust and disdain for those who had been involved sexually and immorally, he said, now, who would want this? Who would want this rose? And Matt said anger began to well up in his heart. Real, I want to hurt you, anger. And then he said this, I wanted to shout out, Jesus wants the rose. Jesus wants it. That's the point of the gospel. When we were enemies, Christ died for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. That's the gospel. And my friends, that's the gospel that we need to spread and cast broadly because we want people from all walks of life who've struggled, who are sinful, who will sing with us, heal us, Emmanuel. We want them here. We want them in our churches because we want them to know the Christ that we have come to know. The church is the net of the kingdom. It's just not community. It's church. When you graduate, say, I want church. I want you to love the church the way Christ loved the church. He bled and died for her. And in that church, look for a place where you can put your hands on the net and be used of Christ as you speak often and well of Jesus. And you watch, what's the philosophy of ministry? You watch God at work. And men and women and boys and girls, people you never thought would darken the door of the church will come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation and God is at work. My prayer is that God will use you on this campus and God will use you many years after this campus because I still hope when you graduate you'll love the gospel and you'll love the church. The gospel and ecclesiology because the church is the net of the kingdom. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love for us, your faithfulness to us, your long-suffering with us. And thank you that you have established your church. You love her. You've died for her. You continue to intercede for her. And though there are false sons in her pale, one day you will separate the sheep from the goats. But in the meantime, Lord, use us in casting the net of the gospel to cast it broadly, to cast it with others, and use us in the advancement of the kingdom for your glory, for your honor, for your praise, we ask in Jesus' name and none other. Amen.